I've got a 5.5. That could be getting a gooey. A gooey? It's pronounced schmalky. Schmalky. <laughs> I read a schmalky this week. Hey, Roman, did you read a schmalky this week? Did you read both schmalkies, Django? Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. <gasps> you and schmalky. Oh, I love it. Roman and even Roman read a schmalky. We are a trio of schmalky boys. Hard not to read a schmalky with his output lately. No. Have no, you you're right. This? Did we get the other? <clears throat> so we got the other one, the spider barbarian book thing, Vikings. We Don't Kill Spiders comes out July 21st. Oh. And that is written art cover all by Joseph Schmalky. Count Draco Knuckle Duster is also coming out from Scout, also from Schmalky. Cherry Blackbird from Schmalky. Murder Hobo, Schmalky Joint. Electric Black, you know it was a Schmalky Joint. Phantom Star Killer, Schmalk all over that. Schmalk week. Schmalk week. acceptable pod welcome to a perfectly acceptable podcast uh, i'm jeff and i have to get this intro out before Django keeps talking about the horrible things that he's <laughs> saying it's a comic podcast from a bunch of people who work at a comic shop together and who love one another and who love one another <laughs> yeah 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 lots do, of yeah. hugs and do lots of nice things for each other because we love each other that's what yeah. comics are about it's a love, love fest it's a veritable love fest. Schmalky love fest. It's bunch of schmalk. You got, oh, actually, I got a little schmalk on my shoes. Um, it's a comic podcast. We love comics. We talk about them every single week after we get them in for our comic shop. And we get together. Generally, it's Django, Jeff, and Roman. And sometimes it's other, sometimes it's other people. And this time, though, it's the, it's that three stalwart, that three stalwart people. And we are in love. And you can't take that away from us. Okay, we're in love with comics and each other. Like I said, it's a comics podcast. I'm Jeff. I'm, I'm Schmalky. I'm, oh, I'm Schmalky too. Weird. And I'm like the Doug. number two. <laughs> and I'm Doug. Ah, I'm Schmalky, Schmalky, and Doug. Welcome to my podcast. <laughs> well, I'm also here. So it's Jeff, Schmalky, Schmalky, and Doug. <laughs> and I don't really like comics, but I just wandered down from Linden and I. <laughs> Got tethered up in this weird phone cable, and now I'm part of this podcast. <laughs> I love them too. I love Schmalky. I mean, wait, which one are you, Schmalky? You're both Schmalky. That's we got to get. Okay, listen, we're gonna be talking about a bunch of comics this week, but something big happened. We were working what? on our Tuesday week, <laughs> but and I opened up a comic book and I thought it's gonna be fun to just pretend this book is totally for Django, but then. It had a whole bunch of bunts and farting and pooping and violence. And I was like, this actually is a Django book. Who's this by? Schmalky. Joseph Schmalky. And then we were doing some other stuff. And this other cool book came in. And I opened it up to look at it. And I'm not, don't want to spoil anything for anybody. But the beginning, this is an adult podcast. Everyone, you've been warned. <laughs> at the beginning, there's like this lady and she's having sex with a guy on the first page. And he like wants her to grab a dildo and put it in his butt. So she does, and she's about to put it in his butt while he's in that deep, deep Roman pose. And all of a sudden, he gets this, like, bloody plop sound, and out of his butt, a clawed hand comes out, 
And all of a sudden, Baphomet in his goat form, it covered in rectal juice, it has come out of this guy's butt. And I was like, well, this is the most Django thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Also, Schmalky. Also, (laughs) Schmalky. So, we've got some big stuff in the comics place this week. We want to basically just go right into it. Got to get Joseph Schmalky on the horn. We don't have his number, but we want to send coming him... out of the Comics Place podcast, like and, a Schmalky. Yeah, like a Satan out of a butt. Uh, we want to we want to issue you a formal invitation, Schmalky, to be a part of our Comics Place uh, family. Um, yeah. So look for that when we get to the Schmalky mound later in the podcast. We've been looking for a janitor. You can start there. Work your way up to the mail room, maybe. Exactly, the Schmalky room is what we'll even yeah. call it. Um, this we talking about a good number of things. I'm worried because this email should have been read at the beginning of the podcast, and I didn't check to see if we had any emails mm-hmm. until now, and I'm going to do a bad job editing and put it... I'm going to do a bad job... I'm going to do a bad edit and put this at the beginning of the episode all of a sudden. Listen, it's better than the fart jokes and the schmalky jokes we told in the beginning of the episode. Those, so, no, uh, those are all still going to be there. We're just going to sandwich this one in because i'll get right up in there happy 229 i don't even think that we said that at the beginning of the episode yeah just we went right into schmalks and farts um (laughs) happy 229 just a quick four thousand kilometers from sunny modesto to the 229 we'll find you in the southwest corner of georgia the peach state oh the ant state i love peaches although they're second to nectarines in my mind but i love georgia Joja. I love Joja. <laughs> You've clearly spent some time there. <laughs> Peach facts. Number one, peaches come from a can. Peach fact number two, they were put there by a man. Peach fact number three, in a factory downtown. Peach fact number four, if I had my little way. Peach fact number five, I'd eat peaches every day. Now, listen. I listened to a song by the president of the United States of America today. And it was their cover of J. Alfred Prufrock. Video killed the radio star. And it's a fantastic cover. Um, Nature's candy in my hand or can or pie. Couldn't agree more unless it was nectarines. But there ain't no nectarine state as oh, far man. as I know. You're a nectarine man over peaches? Yeah, I thought I was a peach man my whole life, but. It just peach has great branding. It's got a great brand behind it. Peaches, nectarines, I think are better tasting. They don't have the hair that makes it difficult to eat. Um, I just think nectarines are a better peach. This is from Will. And then P.S. On a scale of one to Nicolas Cage, how many peaches would you guys give to Loki and to Sweet Tooth, the TV shows so far? Great question. I think we're about to talk about Loki in a second. If I remember the yep. flow of the last couple of hours. Okay. So I'm going to give my score to it now on a scale of one to 10 peaches. And then you can listen to our discussion. I give Loki episode one, 8.5 peaches. And I have not watched Sweet Tooth yet. I'm going to give it seven nectarines. I'll, I'll give it, I'll give Loki. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll give it, I'll give it nine. He's going to give it one nine. Luke Wilson. <laughs> nine. <laughs> <laughs> one Luke Wilson. Yes. Um, yeah. Are you going to get nine? Yeah, you're a higher score than I did. And after that conversation, which okay, everyone's I'll, about I'll, to hear, the, it's, it's, everyone's about to the hear conversation, that conversation. He might revise it. Yeah, I But I know. do I feel know. like he came out of that 8. conversation 5. not loving it as much as I did. 8.5 Nick Cage peaches. 
like Jeff, I haven't seen Sweet Tooth, so I don't know. So Django, you have though. Yeah, I've seen two episodes of Sweet Tooth. So when Will, I could eat a peach for hours, Elmer says um, <laughs> how we like them so far. I'm going to judge it on what I've seen so far. I like it a lot so far. Uh, they're telling the story in a way that is very different from the comic. Um, I'm sure they have a reason for it. It's a little bit... The filming is a little bit slick when compared to Jeff Lemire's kind of shitty art. Like shitty in the best way art. Um, like his art is is not shiny. It's not sparkly. It's it's kind of dull and looks like it's printed on paper rather than magazines. I got a um, I got a yeah. sub question that like really ties into your answer here. Okay, uh, I I would give it I I would I would eat uh, sweet tooth for an hour. So. Andrew Carlson, Fox of the Show, wrote in, Hey, guys, what do you think makes a television show adaptation from a comic great? A la Sweet Tooth, Preacher, Doom Patrol, etc. Chew on that one for a while. Foxworth. So immediately I was like, do I want it to be just like, I think that I want it to be very different from the comic. But then I thought, I think the best adaptation that I've watched recently is Invincible. Mm-hmm. Which is very similar. To Which movie. is very similar. So what <clears throat> made that one good? And then I'm thinking back, historically, what television or movies have I liked the most? I'm going to actually remove movies from the equation because we're talking about television yeah. shows here. Um, I think the most I've liked a comic show adaptation since Invincible is like The Walking Dead. And that was like probably for the first like four seasons, but like that did feel like seasons two through four, there was like an amount of like, I watched that every week with friends and really enjoyed it. Um, you know, Preacher was fine. I didn't finish it. I really liked the boys season one, but so, okay. But so if I really liked Invincible and I liked Walking Dead, Walking Dead was very different from the comics, but kind of had some elements. And Invincible was very close to the comics. Where do you guys fall? Do you think a good adaptation follows it very closely or is very different from it? I think it's a lot slushier than that for me. I think yeah. I think that if the producers of the TV show were able to define what I like about the comic and lean on that while telling any story they want. So like for me, Walking Dead is the the soap opera and the grossness. And they nailed that with the TV show for a while. Um and those were the seasons that I liked the most was, was kind mm -hmm. of the soapy, the soapy and the thrill with preacher. It's just the abject lunacy of the concept and how silly the whole thing is while having what feels like real stakes for your friends, Jesse and Tulip and Cassidy, they're all flawed. And that's why I like that show so much with invincible. I think that it's just the superheroics. And that they nailed the superheroics there. With uh, Sweet Tooth, I like the kind of sketchy, dirty Jeff Lemire art and storytelling. And that's why this hasn't, that's why I couldn't eat that peach for hours. Mm -hmm. I could only eat Sweet Tooth for one hour because they've taken one of my favorite aspects of the show and, and uh, kind of sanded off all the rough edges and made it pretty. Ruben, what do you think? Kind of a lot what Django's saying. Um the show has to has to strike a good balance in capturing the the spirit of the comic and the main characters. 
but add but build on that add some new stuff like my favorite uh comic book adaptation shows are um doom patrol and the boys and invincible um and i've actually haven't read much of invincible but all three of those every episode i'm completely invested and i'm thrilled and i'm surprised even though with two of them i know what's going to happen i think and i know about the characters but they still surprise me because they do a little they add little extra things and go off in different directions without without losing what made the original story so great i just remembered that i segued out of that last question with this question and that last question was going to be forced into the intro i'll deal with that later just leave um, all this in leave the sausage in this this is our giant intro and then we talk about okay yeah um this is like the little knot on the end of the hot dog i um (laughs) i feel like in listening to your guys answers to me what makes a great television adaptation of a comic is to capture the characters that i liked from that thing so much and allow them to exist in a story that is either related to or unrelated to the strict plot of the comic. Because I think that unless we're talking like a Morrison or Hickman book where like the bones, the mechanics, the machine of the story is the thing that I love so much, unless it's that. And Mm -hmm. it's, if it's just the characters I love, if you can let me spend time with characters that I know I like from having read a comic and watch them do a thing where I'm not a hundred percent sure that they're going to do what I quote unquote know that they're going to do like invincible. It's been so long since I've read that series and they told it a little bit different in order. Um, so I kind of was on my toes about what exactly is going to happen. Um, the boys and preacher are both, I think good examples of like, I think preacher specifically and the walking dead, they captured the, like the very heart of these characters. And then it didn't necessarily matter exactly what, game they were put into because right. i kind of trusted them and i just liked watching them do their thing so to me i think whether you follow a comic book strictly or not what makes it very good is to lean heavily on and i think kind of jangle is what you said lean on those characters lean on the thing that you know you like and then if you can allow them to engage uh in a story that is new or new ish but primarily lean on these characters and and remind me that i enjoy spending time with them that's that's probably my 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 roman did you like the show did you like the show what show our show the magic uh the time travel sci-fi magic boy um oh yeah i'm here and now i'm over there spoiler low key the the doctor doctor who i love doctor who yeah spoilers for high key low key (laughs) i did actually i I liked it i liked it yeah before we get into the comics for the week i think we should talk Uh a little bit about low key Mm -hmm. no spoiling no no we are going to spoil it so i don't want to get out of here check look at look look in the show notes to find out where the comic talk starts exactly where the the schmalky bomb hits but you You, we got to talk about Schmalky first at this point. Okay, we're going to go right into Schmalky. After we talk about Loki, I'm going to change the order I had. Um, we're going to be talking about the Schmalky Mound. Then we're going to be talking about the six sidekicks of Trigger Keaton. We're going to talk about Ant, number 12. We're going to talk about Rorschach, number nine. We're going to talk about Bunny Mask, number one. 
Secret Land, number one. We talk about those Rowdy X books. We're going to have a joke number four, and I think we're going to try and get into a little bit of Batman Earth One. Also, someone needs to talk to Marvel about their paper stock because the covers are just wrinkling. They're just tattered tissues. I was the least excited about Loki, although I've not been excited about any of these Marvel television shows. The least excited of us three or the least excited of all the Marvel shows? That one. Okay. All of the Marvel shows. So I, you know, in general, Loki... And the cinematic universe hasn't excited me. Tom Hiddleston is very cute, but, you know, I was like, I don't really care about watching this guy run around. And of the three pilots, it was certainly my favorite of the pilots that have come out. I mean, give me an Owen Wilson any day. Wow. I like that guy. Me too. I don't don't like a lot of the movies he's in, but I like that guy. He's no, he's no Luke. I don't agree. I think he's better. (laughs) I don't think he's trying to be. I know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Nobody cares about Luke Wilson. (laughs) Wow. Don't tell him <laughs> that or he's going to try and commit suicide. Just well, like his sure, brother no, Owen. Well, oh my God. Well, I hope he doesn't listen to this, to the podcast. <laughs> then I'll feel guilty. I'll feel really guilty. Yeah. Yeah. But it's true. I mean, come on. Of the Wilson brothers. All Owen all day. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, I, I was, was very cute. You didn't love it? No. I liked it a lot. <laughs> And what I liked a lot about it was like how sci-fi it was. Like, I was like, I'm not going to like this. And then like right at the, like in the first third, there's that scene where like Owen is walking Loki around and he like looks out the window and we get that giant techno city. Yeah. I was like, okay, time travel, multiversal maps, you know, like precise ordering of events that are mixing up timelines. Like that's very, very Jeff. And, uh, one other thing that I just forgot, but and I'll, then they I'll had think about Mobius it. himself draw you a city. You know what? And I loved it's again, spoilers, but at the beginning, you know, we get the little kid pointing at the window and like the 1300s and it's like Mephisto. Mm-hmm. And that was really cool. And then everybody like this TMA organization or no T A TVA. Yeah. Is that a thing in the comics, Roman? Yeah, it was actually from Walt Simonson's fantastic four run. Did it have anything to do with Mephisto? Not that I remember. Oh. Because their logo, if you stare at it, like breaks down to an M, like a red M, like the mm. T, and then the V and the A have this faded out thing. So if you look at it, it looks like an M. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh. oh, everyone's been excited about Mephisto. We got multiverses. It looks like maybe he's like creating all this stuff, time travel, loops, order of arrangement. Like I, I liked it. And I also like, am primarily upset by the idea of like authority figures so this idea of this like time authority figure um, made me feel particularly oppressed i i dug it wow i i like i liked it and i was surprised yeah by the sci-fi element and and i was really curious i was why are the why are they bringing the tva back and why in the context of loki because in the comics you know it was just strictly sci-fi ff had nothing to do with as guardians or mystical stuff at all because they killed loki and he's just like printing money so they have to insert new stories somewhere yeah yeah i was surprised that i was like you know loki's a god why why do the these guys are so powerful they can control a god bigger that's than pretty, gods yeah it's pretty interesting i think i like it less knowing that it is a part of the marvel history although i did see them like when they showed up and i was talking to sean i was like i'm sure roman knows about this organization but i kind of preferred to think that it was like a made-up thing that like mephisto had created because we've got 
I mean, I guess I was kind of feeling a, like a lot of overlap with Heroes Reborn. I might, have to, I might have to watch the beginning again because I, I didn't, I don't remember that kid at the window at all. So I guess I would like to see one of these Marvel shows. And maybe this is why I liked WandaVision, the first part of WandaVision, probably the most out of the Marvel shows that we've had lately. I'd like to see them loosen up a little bit on the visual style guide because mm. they all just look like marvel movies like there, there's yeah. there's a very small variance between the most flashy and the least flashy of the marvel shows and movies and i, I would love to see somebody desaturate it or way oversaturate it or just just do anything do anything different yeah you're, marvel I, movie I, or show I, do, I would like it more that's a good point they do have this very you could take any random scene from a Marvel movie and put it next to three other random scenes from other movies. And you could point out the one that's like a Marvel one. Like there's just yeah. a, like a film over. I, I do. I agree with that, but yeah, I'm still, still pretty surprised that I liked it. I turned like halfway through to Sean. And I was like, I'm upset that how much I like the show. Like <laughs> Owen Wilson yeah. time travel. Love it. I, I would like to see like some, at some point um, Hiddleston do like kind of classic evil creep scary loki just because i mean he's a he's a great actor and he could do it mm -hmm. but i understand why you know marvel's going kind of this cute charming funny loki you yeah, know foxy and yeah. also foxy oh <laughs> okay so let's listen we talked about that let's uh let's get into it let's get on our schmalky palpit um this is exciting this is exciting stuff a new creator we've never talked about on the podcast and they brought two books to the table this week uh, Cherry Blackbird, Joshua Schmalky's Cherry Blackbird from Black Caravan, and also Murder Hobo. We only got one Murder Hobo, so Django has that because he's you got Schmalky DNA. It's in your I like DNA. I like it when missing eyes look like buttholes more than anybody else. So yeah. I I uh, <laughs> claimed it. I have a question, guys. Yeah. Um. So this is this publisher's Black Caravan. Have we? Is this a totally brand new? Are these their first books? Have we ever seen anything from these people before? It's Scout yeah. Comics. And they've Scott had comics. one or two books on this Black Caravan imprint come out so far. Oh, okay. It's their Vertigo that goes farther than Vertigo ever would. For example, nice. Vertigo wouldn't have shown a dude's prolapsed anus mm. and balls and cock. Uh, and our podcast like says balls and cock. Yeah. If you're curious about our boundaries, okay. balls and cock is within the game. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah actually, the full frontal female nudity in there completely eclipsed by the, <laughs> the devil sound effect yeah. of the guy's butthole breaking. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that panel. Oh, my God. Yeah, the devil, the devil bursts out the butthole and uh, <laughs> makes a deal with somebody. I'm not sure if it is the person that is our protagonist or not because she's got different colored hair. But the rest of the issue follows this badass rock star girl who um is killing it in the rock industry and it turns out she sold her soul to the devil and she's got one year before he wants to claim it or she could go kill all these demons that escaped and he says he won't take her soul back then although somebody else who's made deals with the devil seems to be skeptical that he's actually going to hold up his side of the bargain so we get a kind of cool training montage oh the training montage was great yeah she's got 365 days from her birthday to her birthday she's she's going to die on her 27th birthday unless she completes this this mission and uh like all the classic rockers yeah yeah and and the, like the the training montage was just like all the classic movies too 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this this is a this is a skilled comic, especially for somebody that we've never never really had on our radar at all. Yeah, the Schmalky impresses. The Schmalky shows up to impress. I've always found. Yep. Since I've started reading his comics, Today. and uh, <laughs> earlier in the week, <laughs> um, you know, I don't know that I was in love with the story. I mean, I do like it. I like devil stuff. I like rock stars, and I like buttholes. Um, <laughs> but um, I just m- more than the story. I just really liked how the whole thing felt, mm-hmm. like for, down to the thick paper cardstock to the ink the way that like the lines i get the art is kind of dirty kind of messy and not necessarily in like a super skilled messy way like a you know mccray or something but like a kind of like a you know like somebody who hasn't done a ton of comic booking but all of it served to sort of i don't know contribute to this vibe that the book has like you're reading something kind of cool in indian art house and and I yeah. really dug that, even though the story itself wasn't incredibly exciting. I did like it, but it was a little middle, middle of the road. But there was a lot of contributing factors that kind of, I feel like, set it apart from a middle of the road comic. Yeah, uh, like the, the like you said, the art isn't isn't super refined, but it there, there wasn't a single panel where I was confused what was going on. I followed all the action. The only thing that I think um, I'm unsure of is, like you said, we don't know if the character in the very beginning of the issue is a character that we've seen later on. Like, did, did the devil make a deal with her while she's holding that dildo or what? Right. And that's uh, Schmalky art, too. Is it Schmalky art? That's Schmalky art. Gosh, this guy. He draws a good devil popping out. The the, the full page shot of the devil, like after he's popped out of the butthole, um, is a really gorgeous shot of the devil. He's so slippery. And he's little... so slippery in the the this this shot of the uh the lady reaching for the dildo great forced yeah. perspective yes that is a great forced perspective um yeah schmalky yeah and I mean, really, yeah and i really like that title page with the the full page of the devil there yeah. um and i appreciate the way the, the the devil's dialogue there how he went from that that horrible scenes the first two pages and then the title page and he he and he lightens up a little humor there in the devil's dialogue but you know he wants to go take a shower first and get all the all the all the uh the dookie the butt detritus off him yeah i really like this i uh was on the fence we're doing a new thing we talked about last week continuity everybody uh we we wrote down our scores before talking about them all of us for our books i are, are those the scores we're giving that's a great question i think we should talk about both I yeah. I wrote seven point five to an eight. I feel comfortably giving it an eight today. Now, Schmalky. Yeah, flipping through it again and talking to it, I would give it an eight, and it looks like I gave it a seven and a half when I read it. Nice, Captain Schmalky. Schmalky Statler. Um, I I gave it an eight both times. Nice. <laughs> I bet that will be true for you. I bet you have an emotional consistency that stays stays true. I get. Uh, excited by other people's excitement and i also get my feelings hurt when people don't like the thing so (laughs) (laughs) hey uh i know you guys didn't read schmalky and lynch's murder hobo big floppy edition but i gotta tell you jason lynch is a pretty good companion to joseph schmalky's writing um it's basically uh 
three or four different stories that are all set in the Dragon's Taint bar, <laughs> kind of a Dungeons and Dragons thing. And there's That's actually a great name for a bar, <laughs> a Dragon's Taint on the wall of the bar, which is pretty hilarious. <laughs> um, <laughs> if we ever do a game room again, can we call it that? Sure, sure. It's It really is just kind of the same jokes over and over um, in a pretty good way. It's it's just as gross as Cherry Blackbird, maybe maybe more relentlessly so. Uh, every every like it's these these people sitting around trying to assemble a party because they've they've lost members of their party, and every person who comes up to kind of uh, audition or tell them their story that ties into the larger narrative um, kind of tells a story about how they lost an eye, and every every story ends with and that's how I lost my eye. Um, <laughs> Some of the eyes look like buttholes. Some of the eyes look like vaginas. Some of the eyes are just, well, some of them look like a mix between the two. Some of them are buttholes. Some of them are buttholes. Yeah. Um, Schmalky actually draws a few pages. I, I didn't realize that. I thought it was uh, Deluna. Lelu- uh, Del Luca. Del Luca. Del Duca. Yeah. 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 Kind of good. It, the whole thing ends with uh, a really disgusting poop joke where. Every, the whole party gets sprayed with shit from a guy who says he lost an eye but didn't because he's so crazy. So you gave it a 10? Uh, I think I would give it a 7. Oh. It leans a little hard on the D&D explorers talking in a bar. Mm. Not not a genre that I super love. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the jokes get a little tired. <laughs> Funny. Probably funny funnier to me 10 years ago but still pretty funny um i'm gonna give it a seven and now i'm gonna look up and see what i what i gave it when i read it uh oh i gave it a seven call me smack my Ah. ass and call me schmalky too i love it i love schmalky i am so excited you two are such good friends i uh look forward to getting some more murder hobo in the the schmalky writing with that art in murder hobo works really well together i like that mm-hmm. art quite a bit and it reminded me a lot when looking at it of like the art in red rock big rock candy mountain rock candy yep. mountain by yep. kyle starks which is a really great segue to talk great job jeff uh to talk about kyle starks and chris schweitzer yeah, i like the way that you sh- schmalkied up that uh schmalk way yeah six sidekicks of trigger keaton by kyle starks and chris schweitzer this is exciting because this is the creative team that was at the the latter half of rock candy mountain attributed as the writer and artist i think kyle starks was doing all of it and then schweitzer was either like writing or inking or django you know yeah i don't remember one of those guys said that he was super surprised that the other one insisted on giving him credit Um, and i think it was the whole thing if i remember right Okay. Um, but they also did, didn't, let's see, Kyle Starks wrote Assassination. The Assassination, which had a similar vibe, I thought. Really similar vibe to this. This yeah. is um, your dumb, fun book. This is a dumb, fun book that sort of leans on 80s tropes. And mm-hmm. that's what Assassination did. Um, I like the style of humor. I think it did some really innovative things. I also really like the art in it. It's like mm-hmm. really basic, but like when you just look at 
like pant creases and the way the pants are drawn and stuff. It's, it's both really simple, but like not quite, but almost masterfully done. Like it, it's, it's great cartooning and it's simplicity and ability to convey detail while also not being much line. I, I, yeah. I, I'm really impressed by the proficiency of the cartooning. Um, what did you, what did you guys think of the six sidekicks of trigger Keaton? I thought I loved that, it. Yeah. The, the setup to it, I think is just kind of hilarious. The conceit of this story. Yeah. It's basically um, Chuck Norris is a giant asshole and he is abusive on set and somebody kills him. And there's just too many people to really have uh, too many people with a motive to really know who did it. And so it's his six sidekicks trying to figure out who killed him. And most of them don't like him. One of them is he's, he's the guy's hero. Um, and the, the end of the issue, the biggest words on the page are stuntman war. And we got to gear up for issue two with a stuntman war. I'm pretty excited. <laughs> that is pretty awesome. I love the fact that, uh, the one guy is it somebody Komodo, Terry K- Komodo Fuck Tarkington. Is, is the big fan of, uh, the dead Chuck Norris guy. Um, so much so that he's got a tattoo of him on his chest, and, <laughs> yeah. I, and I love the and I love the running joke that at each one of these guys was former sidekicks of his in TV or movies, and they each like he ruined their careers. And this guy became a stunt man, but there's a running joke that he's a prima donna stunt man because he won't do falls; he'll only do like fight choreography, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah the 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 dude the Komodo guy. Reminds me a lot of the character Fuck Tarkington from Assassination, who mm, yeah. is based appearance-wise and personality on Chris Schweitzer. Um, <laughs> so I wonder if that guy, Larry Komodo, whatever, is also kind of based on Chris Schweitzer again. The thing that I loved the most about this issue was the mechanic that they used to do exposition for each character. And it kind of had me thinking about <laughs> the scary house on the lake or nice house on the lake from the other week and kind of like doing those character introductions, expositions for each character. And, and I don't think that was poorly done, but it was a little info dumpy. It's just sort of like, here's a paragraph. Um, on nice house on the lake. Yeah. yeah. And and it, it was fine. And they, you know, made it easy to digest. And it was a nice kind of way of learning about these characters. But it was just kind of an information information dump. Whereas this, as you meet each of these different sidekicks, it shows their face and it shows a small highlighted old copy of TV Guide with the TV <laughs> Guide listing of the first episode of the show that that person was on with Trigger Keaton. And then on the other side, it shows the article talking about why the show was canceled or why the person was kicked off the show or whatever. And for each of those six characters, like that's just such an innovative and fun way to do this thing that every book has to do. Yeah. But to be able to do it in a way that is very playful and fun and you know, is kind of leans even more into that era of the Hollywood that they're talking about. It reminded me of like a very funny version of uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you know? Yeah. Kind of the, this character is basically that Leonardo DiCaprio type character, except for a huge asshole who gets killed. Well, and the, the, the way that they deal with light in a lot of these scenes, like this is, this is just a straight up kind of Hollywood noir, right? Yeah, like the the shot of of Tuff's boots and uh, the lighting there, the lighting there, and the just the the page before that where the assistant is walking in the room and and it's dusk and you can kind of see just the way that the lighting is is on the posters and stuff. You're right. That's a really specific time of day. Yeah, 
like yeah, yeah. you're right there's a that, and even even the second panel you get a little foreshadowing for the third panel in uh in in the shadow of the guy getting ready to jump through the window the 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 coloring in here is a a big part of the art and the liz trice trice schweitzer is credited as a coloring assistant so i don't know if she had that part of her hand in it or if it's uh if it's chris schweitzer who's doing that part of the storytelling but it's really well done Roman, you like 80s things. Did you like this? Oh, yeah. I liked it a lot. Um, <clears throat> in fact, Django, talking about that, the lighting, I just realized that in the fight scene at the end, every fist and every every limb, the shadow of that limb is is on the person that it misses. Like the, the guy who's a nurse, <laughs> he keeps ducking all the blows. <laughs> You're right. But the shadows of the, the limbs are always there. It's awesome. <laughs> it's almost a little Kyle Bakery to me. Yeah. It's so yeah. so well done. Like the the art, I think it's just really professionally professionally done. And I love at the the funeral for this guy that everyone hates. There's this big sign that says God must have needed a little more kung fu in heaven. <laughs> um, and then the fake, you know, magazine right up in the back matter with him. Um I gave this one upon my own reading uh an 8.5. And I think I'm going to stick with that. I feel like 8.5, I'm going to stick there. I'm going to give it an 8.5. And uh, when I read it before, it looks like I gave it uh, an 8. Okay, all right. You talked me up. I didn't mean to. That's not my goal, but I love it. <laughs> I gave it a, uh, a good a 9.5, and I'll stick with that. Nice. 9.5 on the Richter scale. I, I, I love martial art is his name. Oh, yeah. I just love the whole, I love anything that picks on Chuck Norris too, because I never liked him. I don't know anything about him. If he's like actually a nice guy or a jerk, I don't know. Well, he doesn't even think about you. Um, hey, Django, will you quickly tell me about Bunny Mask and why Ariana Grande chose this week to make her debut into comics? What? Oh, man, I don't, I don't understand, and I won't respond. It was a joke. She wears that bunny mask. She wears like this tight bondage mask that's like black leather with just the top and has bunny ears like that. It's kind of her thing. Roman, don't tell Jeff. I don't even know who Ariana Grande is. Good. I, don't worry I about just it. I just found out I need to watch Ariana Grande videos. Mm. So this book is really fucking good. Mm -hmm. um, you read it too, Roman? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it, it starts with this uh, these two social workers going to a house to check in on a little girl whose mother is gone and, and the dad is kind of problematic and he kills one of them and and puts puts the other one in a cave digging a hole looking for a thing like the guy is totally nutso like just hearing things the words that he says don't make any sense he's knocked out his daughter's bottom teeth in weird like like just chiseled away at them so that they've got like sharp crags in them the guy has kind of a weird mystical experience down there before escaping and then it jumps forward a handful of years and he ends up meeting somebody who seems to be the the little girl who disappeared from the house before the cops showed up um and and she's making art in the city and uh then we go back to some other cops checking in on that house again and they find some weird shit in the cave below and they find the little girl it, like this issue packed more storytelling into it 
in just a normal, maybe it's 22 pages and not what we've been getting from Marvel and DC, which is like 20, but it packed probably three issues of storytelling into this one single issue. And I'm really curious, where can it go from here? Like, how do you pace something that quickly and, and seemingly tell half the story in one issue, you know? Yeah. Yeah. This, I mean, this is an amazing comic. Um, I mean, that first page is a flashback when the dad is his 14 year old daughter, when he's telling her to hold still and he takes a chisel to her bottom teeth and starts, start chiseling away. And I, right away that, that got me. Cause just like a marathon, man, I mean, that anything you do to teeth torturing somebody, that's just, huh, that's horrible. It's, it's safe. Yeah. <laughs> and the coloring, I mean, the coloring is beautiful in this, but yeah, mm -hmm. it's so it's such a convoluted and, and not, that's the wrong word convoluted makes it sound like it's a hard to understand it's such a multi-layered mystery yeah because when they're in the in the flashback when uh the dad has killed that one woman with just with child services or something and then takes the other guy captive and makes him dig in the cave this this woman in a bunny mask shows up and you think it's just like maybe his daughter or somebody mm -hmm. else he captured before but then there's she disappears in the shadows and comes back as like black ooze like a symbiote yeah. off the ground and start in that panel and she just pops up and starts licking the guy's bloody wound on his leg and then there's five panels of just her going lick 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 and before he passes out it's so unsettling <laughs> it, like yeah, yeah. Hor horror comics I don't often have like a, a visceral reaction to them, but that those panels were so gross. And the later on the panels where they're finding all these desiccated bodies that have had their throats cut, like the, the drawings for those are super creepy and amazing. The art kind of reminded me of when Jim Starlin drew Gilgamesh too. Did you ever read that Roman? Mm, like the, I don't think so. It, it, this, this is not quite as, uh, like the lines aren't quite as confident or simple, but a lot of the the faces and like the the shapes of people make me think of that. And it's uh, it's something I really like. Yeah, this the the mouths in that cave at the end, they're so yeah. gross. They look like something Schmalky would do. Yeah, yeah, and somehow in that they don't they don't make this connection in the dialogue or the text or anything but it's somehow connected to what the dad was doing to his daughter's teeth i guess yeah but yeah at first i didn't even realize they were mouths and I, it suddenly hit me like oh my god <laughs> yeah yeah this man is, this this, this, this is terrifying is, this is a, a really well done comic it's by paul tobin yeah andrea moody and taylor esposito well i think i would give this one a i think i'd give this a nine I don't know what I gave it before. I'm going to, I'm going to look that up while Roman tells us what he gave it before and what he gives it now, which are the same. It, it is like before I gave it a 10 and now I'm going to give it a gooey. A schmalky, if you will. A schmalky gooey. So a schmalky bunny not, gooey. Having not read it. I gave it an eight when I read it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, it's some good shit, Jeff. Yeah. I want it. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I I'm not always in love with horror books, but I I can't argue with the fact that two of my favorite people both gave it a really high score. That seems like I need to read it. I I want to talk for a second, everyone, about Ant Number Twelve, and more than a anything, A U N T. Yep. Wait, I said that right. <laughs> yeah, Aunt. 
Yeah. Uh, Sweet Aunt Petunia. Some people pronounce it aunt, like my aunt Agatha. Right? right. That's an okay pronunciation. Aunt May, Aunt Agatha. Right. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, Aunt number 12 from Eric Larson um, on Image Comics. Listen, they, uh, all, they, they can't all schmalk, Jeff. Not everyone schmalks out the mouth like that Joseph does. Aunt number 12. This is on the surface, I think you could say, maybe not a very good comic. <laughs> and I don't like to use words like that. And I've been questioning a lot every single day, you know, like what is appreciation for art lately? I've been thinking a lot about what is it? What is the job? What is, what is the duty? Why, why try? Do you try? <laughs> Should you even have to? Should a thing just please you? Um, I read Ant number 12 this week. And I don't think it's a very good comic. Um, and there is three pages of back matter explaining why it's not a very good comic. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's a bad comic. I think that what I particularly want to bring up about the issue itself, and then the back matter is the separate conversation that I actually want to have. The art style in here, I really like the art. And I don't try, I'm trying to figure out what it is that I like about it because Jenga, you and I looked at it at one point and you were yeah. like, it's not very good because there are panels that are not very good. And you know what it looks like to me? It's like every panel looks like the background of what's happening in a Frank Quietly comic. Oh. If you look at the ink line and the pencil line and the amount of detail in all of it, it's not enough detail. But if it were, you know, a quarter the size and happening in the background, it's the exact amount of detail that like Frank Quietly uses on like the squiggles of pants and like faces. And I was like, there's something I like about it. And I was trying, it, it, it's sort of that, like it, it does remind me blown up small parts of really good art. And, and it's, I, it's Eric Larson working with a Mario Gulli script. Is that right? I don't know for sure. No, I, it, if Roman, please correct me as I try to do this, but in the back here, it, it tells about this. Ant is a character that showed up in Savage Dragon created by a guy named Mario Gulli, who's actually coming to our comic shop before. So he's local. I think he lived in town for a while. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if at, at what point he sold the rights to this character to Eric Larson, but that happened at some point. But he was writing this book called Ant that had showed up in Savage Dragon and then got its own series through Image. And there were several writers that had come on board throughout its run. And Mario Gully had been doing the art throughout it. And each time the right, there's long write up at the end by Eric Larson talks about it. each time a writer came on, they kind of tried to like redefine and re, like re iron out this character's story because it's kind of a convoluted story. And because each writer kept trying to take their own spin on and everything, it always kind of felt convoluted and weird. And there had never been an issue 12 to it. And eventually Mario Gulli and he were talking about wanting to get this final thing done because Eric Larson, I think awesomely so, was like, we just need to finish this. Like if we want to have another series for it, if it wants to go somewhere else, that's fine. But like there's been 11 issues for a long time. People expect an end of this story. We just need to wrap this thing up. So Mario was like, okay. And he sent him like seven pages, like the start to the story. And Eric was like, okay, cool. I'll wait for the rest of it. And then just never showed up. And then, the, then he was like, I even lost those seven pages. And Eric was like, okay, well, I'll write everything around it. And you just draw it. And he like, wasn't, he didn't end up drawing it. Didn't end up writing anything. Basically this guy kind of just flaked out of every professional, the least professional business partner I've ever heard. For sure. And Eric Larson ended up doing all of this himself, mostly just to get this thing finished so that it has a period for fans so that if they can make a new series for it and everything. But there is 
the three pages of write-up by Eric Larson explaining it pretty kindly because I do remember Django and I were reading articles as this was getting published. This guy, Mario Gully got really mad at Eric Larson because he wouldn't draw a part where, you know, somebody needed to have their head crushed by a vagina. I just loved the write-up and the insight into the comic industry that this three pages provided. Like what goes into this? How long do things take? What is a business partnership like? How do people change over time? Like all of that was what was more than anything fascinating to me, Roman. So what did I, you've also been reading Savage Dragon for a while. What did you think of this? Um, much as much as you did. I mean, the the actual story kind of reminded me of, uh, I don't know, kind of your ba- your basic, you know, fun, but kind of middle road comic from, say, the 80s. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our main character, superpowers. She has a cool visual, um, just all red and everything and this the weird ant thing and she's got antenna which i always like ambush bug i like characters with antenna yeah. all red and mostly um, butt just looks like a yeah. red metallic skin tight suit which is kind of cool yeah and larson talks about that too how just it, you know it's a great visual i mean it's simple but it's not quite like anything other than maybe ambush bug um but the story itself but yeah she has powers there's a mystery behind how she got them there's a secret organization or something that's after her um and they're chasing her through the sewers um but so if it was just if the comic was just that i'd probably give it like a seven but because of that back matter that eric wrote um that boosted way up for me because that was fascinating that was really interesting and you're right he is he is quite gracious because it must have been frustrating as hell for him to waiting forever for this guy to just like finish is he like things. freaked out at Eric Larson in the media and like was saying shit about him? Like he very amateur Bush League shit. Also, after that write up, it has the the uh, the penciled layouts for all of the pages of the comics. So on top of this, having this really interesting three pages of insight, kind of about the creative journey of making a single issue of a comic, it then also has the creative process of like the physical act of executing and drawing it. So I think to anyone who, you know, is this a great comic? I don't think it's a great comic or even like a very good comic as itself. But yeah, like you said, what is in it elevates it massively. I had said it was a like, it's hard for me to rate because, you know, I do like the art, but the story is lacking. But yeah, the if you are someone who likes comics or wants to make comics, this is a great template of like kind of what goes into every aspect of making comics. I would consider that invaluable. So I wanted to give it a yeah. six, all of the pages within it. It's kind of like an 8.5. Yeah, and I think, and this one is slightly different for me because yeah, I think originally I gave it an eight, but I was talking about it, I'll give it, I'll also give it an 8.5. Because yeah, Eric's three pages there. I mean, that's, that's a great lesson in comic mm-hmm. book making. And, you know, how to be professional like Eric is and, and how, what definitely not to do like the other guy did. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's so interesting. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. Django, I, I would highly recommend reading the issue and then reading the back matter. Cause it actually is a, this would have been a bummer if I did not read any of the back matter, but um. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting thing to like, that's a bizarre thing to publish. It's a bizarre thing to publish. Right. Like, if I were Eric Larson, I would be tempted to just say, nope, fuck you. I'm not, I'm not publishing. I'm not going to put a period at the end of this story. I'm going to start my own thing and reboot it. But and I just, maybe it was part of the contract. Yeah. I mean, he, in the write-up, he really is just like, nope, fans bought issue one expecting an end of this story. Like he has a very 
regimented like that cartoonist kayfabe interview like he's got a regimented kind of expectation for himself with comics like yeah you know you they come out once a month you know like they the creative team stay the same you give them an ending you don't just string them along like yeah i i like his whatever he's doing there it's pronounced yeah. you like his schmalky i like his schmalky yeah i think he really wanted to put that period on there before he starts it over mm-hmm. um his own self do you guys want to talk about Rorschach number nine? Number nine. 10, 11, 12. Nine. Three issues left. And we've talked about pretty much every issue of this series, but this one was fantastic as they have continued <laughs> surprise, to be. Surprise. But we got some, we got some very like, you know, I, I feel like we've spent seven or eight issues just posing questions. And every time mm-hmm. we get a little bit more information, I still feel like lost. Like, what is this series? But now. We started following some breadcrumbs, started peeling up some carpet, finding some bloodstains, using our instinct, <laughs> tracking a thing or two down. And I I really felt like the second half of this issue had this really wonderful momentum to it. Tom yeah. King, Jorge Fornes, Dave Stewart. Yeah, the, the way that they showed the detective's method of walking around the farm that he had heard stories about last issue, but hadn't been to, and having him explore the farm and... and having us get actual flashbacks like this is these flashbacks feel more like what actually happened than the stories we heard in the last issue right because the stories were from unreliable narrators and these seem to be actual flashbacks of of what happened and then the detective seeing the aftermath of those things and we found out for sure that will meyerson is the guy behind the rorschach mask yeah, but we've also seen was didn't Frank Miller was also wearing one? Yeah, but like we haven't. Yeah, I guess I guess it doesn't necessarily mean that. Did we know that he is the guy who gets killed in the end? I mean, we've been assuming we've been assuming without knowing that Will Myerson was probably that guy wearing the Rorschach right. mask, and and I I agree. This kind of reaffirmed that it feels like. But my question is sort of is Rorschach kind of this living idea at this point and multiple yeah. people are taking this mask on or something. Cause like, Frank oh, yeah. Miller, like what is the extent of how many Rorschachs there are? Absolutely. It was just nice to see that guy put that mask on in a similar way that, um, you know, it was nice in strange adventures when they finally said that his daughter was dead. Mm-hmm. Even if that's a misdirect, they had always said that she was gone until that point like five or six or seven issues in and so tom king i think likes to likes to give you red herrings in the form of missing information rather than giving you bad information if that makes sense i I agree but also we did just learn that his daughter is not dead well right but that's the red herring part right Right. like like he strings us along for issues and issues and issues never saying she is dead right and then he says she is dead and it turns out that that's that's another plot point but but just the the same thing where we yeah i just had to make sure we're on the same page about strange adventures oh yeah yeah Yeah. absolutely you know i really liked about this was the way that he has throughout this series like kind of been having this relationship with him and the kid that you know the girl that Mm -hmm. has been working with rorschach and he's been kind of seeing her and talking to her and at this issue the first half of it we will see like panels showing the exact same spot and him in it and then rorschach in it and kind of showing the two different times that these people are existing in the same space and then throughout the final third of it he's no longer separating it and the detective is just talking to her and she Mm -hmm. is there with him. 
And I love that because she's become such a voice in his head. He like the way that it's like very Sherlock Holmes or something, the way that he is solving these puzzles is by sort of talking to this person. And just having him find the blood stain under the carpet and the, he's just so methodical. It, the blood like, stains on the carpet. The fact that he kept standing at the window, just yelling, Annie, mm-hmm. are you okay? Are you okay, Annie? Annie, are you okay? Is that an Annie Oakley joke? Uh, it's a Michael Jackson. It's a Michael Jackson <laughs> joke. Uh, and let's talk about going into a septic tank all alone to fish out a dead body and like, and then going through the clothes. Yeah. Holy cow, this guy... He pulled out a dookie bass, is what we call that. When you a have to fish, a, when you have to fish a body out of a septic tank, that's a dookie bass. Yeah, he didn't, yeah. Even, he didn't even put on gloves. No, he, in fact, his hands have some dookie on it. I feel like <laughs> it's better than a dookie sardine, which is when you drop your phone in the toilet. I've done that with poop in the toilet. Um, I do love that. Yeah, he pulls pulls the pager out, and he's got dookie on his hands, and there's dookie on the pager. Yeah, Annie, are you dookie? Annie, are you schmalky? Are you schmalky? Are you schmalky? Yeah, so yeah, just another fantastic issue. I don't, again, I don't know what this issue, this series is going to be at the end of it, but I love it and I just love the ride. Roman, what did you percolate? And 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 even after he pulls that guy out of the 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 dookie dookie house, yeah, (laughs) the dookie cylinder, um, H A U S, he, uh, we still don't know, was that guy sent there in a flashback? Was he sent by Turley or was he sent by Redford? I mean, what's there's still a, that yeah. mystery now. Yeah, these guys are so good, man. That I know it's something that you kind of have to do in an issue like this when you're comparing past and present, but it gave me the same feeling that I get reading the original Watchmen, where you're you're looking at a room in the past and you're looking at a room in the present, and anything that's different, you know, the artist knows what happened like where is the clock that's missing in this picture why are the blinds different yeah yeah uh lots of lots of forethought goes into drawing something like that and i i thought it was really good yeah i went from sorry roman please and lots of forethought in the way he's slowly shown us um meyerson and the the girl do we ever know her name i think we just the kid kid, yeah um the relationship because in the beginning of this one in the flashback when she questions if he if he thinks that she's really that good a shot and he does and it's such a great moment because she reveals you know no one's ever told her she was good at anything or believed <laughs> so, her yeah 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 so she's got this total this total like um father figure relationship with him with Meyerson. I gave it a nine and I boosted it up to a 9.5 after talking to you buddies. Uh, I just think that it's awesome. And I, what I do want to say is that I'm really proud of Tom King, even outside of just loving Tom King. Like I do, I'm proud that there is a writer who is writing something tied to the Watchmen. Now that DC can do that. And it's not like doomsday clock. Like I Mm -hmm. like that the ties between this and Watchmen exist, but are tenuous. And I'm glad that they're doing something with the property that is not just so rote as like, this is Rorschach when he was a kid. Yeah. This is exactly what I'm talking about with the Marvel movies. Like, give me a Marvel movie that looks like Rorschach right. compared to the, the before Watchmen and Doomsday Clock and, right. and all the other shit. Um, my scores are exactly the same. I gave it a nine. I'm going to bump it up to a nine, nine and a half. I would give it a 10 if I felt like it had Schmalk in it. No, a little just more like it, it was just a little slow. 
and a little, like two more pages of um, what happens in the next two pages would have probably pushed it up to a 10 for me. Um, same for me. I, I gave it a nine originally. I'll give it a 9.5 now. Oh, we schmalked him been, up. We've been giving <laughs> this man a healthy dosage of the schmalk, and you now just, it's coming out of his nose. Slip schmalk all over him and push him through the hole. You know what we didn't think about was the 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 co- you know, the comp, the effect of mixing schmalk and gooey duck, schmalky, mm-hmm. gooey duck, co-occurring things. Who knew the reaction? I'm afraid, I'm afraid that a gooey duck just becomes a schmalky at that point. It seems like that oh, guy's, God. that guy's ooze can cover everything. Yeah. Be careful. We get too much of a mix going on. The Satan's going to come through the portal. Yep. And I don't mean come through the portal. I mean, come through the portal. Um, Wait, ooze portal. Let's talk about the Joker number four. In this issue, there was a lot of ha ha hawing sound effects into the sky. And I read it right before the Rorschach issue. And there was a fair amount of ha ha hawing into the sky in that one when she breaks down and starts crying. So it was this weird confluence of comic events in my mind. I have a question. What did you two think of this issue? And this, I know you guys are both really loving this series. What did you think of this issue? I liked it. I thought that the main story could have used a few extra pages and the backup could have used um, uh, to be thrown out the window and just done with the rest, like fill those pages with good story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I haven't even been reading the punchline after the first chapter of punchline. Cause I, I just don't care about that. There's there, there have been some good issues. This one was not one. Um, I thought that the Joker's torture scene was holy shit. Good. Um, I like the conversation that he had with Gordon. I'm still pretty ambivalent about um the Bane's daughter, Bane's daughter. What what is her name? Bane's daughter. Bane's daughter. Not Ben. Bane's daughter. I felt I felt bad for the. Tr- I mean, she ruins this perfectly good tree, pushing it over. <laughs> yeah, with those strong legs that she could use yeah. to pop your head. I thought it was a little bit weird that we get three adversaries showing up all at once for the Joker and he just kind of dispatches most of them. Like, why did, why did we, why did we have those other ones? I guess we don't really know what happened to the, to the sister, but yeah, I don't know. Everything happened at once and it, it felt like a, it felt like weird timing to me. I am very interested in who, Cruella is or Cresta or Cresta or whatever. Well, she's tied to the Talons, looks like. So, yeah. Oh, that makes sense. She's just a Talon. I bet she's just part of the Court of Owls. Like her face looks like part of the Court of Owls. She's got that Um, dead, plain, flat face. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Eugenics. I I felt pretty much the same about this issue, Django. I mean, Joker's dialogue during the torture scene, that was great. And the introduction of the torture scene when he's, uh, Oh, I guess if I had been paying attention to the clothes, because at first I thought he was sewing Gordon's mouth shut. That's that my I have had that complaint, which is that character design looks exactly like Gordon without a mustache. Yeah. But with and, a tall lip that could be a mustache. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And the only way I could tell here is I when I flipped back, I was like, oh, this is the other dude because he's wearing a black vest. Yeah. Gordon's not. <laughs> I would been suck so much. Relatively <laughs> critical of james tinian the fourth 
historically at this point in my life. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that has to do with kind of his role within comics and not the actual product that he's putting out. Mm -hmm. And so I want to just sort of like elevate my critique about that because I don't think I'm encouraging people to have an informed critique by just being willing to shit on something because it's Jim's 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 Jim's. So my thoughts on this is I was really sort of trying to look at it and look at every piece of art is somebody's favorite piece of art. And I got to respect that person, I think. So as I'm reading this, the things that I don't necessarily love about it are some art choices. I don't, I don't love the voice for the Joker is like, but that's not Jim's. That's just kind of like the Joker exists as this thing that every writer kind of writes differently. And I think that people can kind of create their own idea of what they want their Joker to sound like. And for me personally, this kind of sounds like a Joker that's a little bit more grounded. It's like a little bit more almost like Lee Bermejo-y, like, like a crime it, boss or something. But or is Azarello. it because he's not in Gotham? Maybe. And that's a fun that's a fun way to read it. Um, just Jim's Tinian's writing on the Joker in general. I think he's mm-hmm. kind of had a, a, a vision for the Joker that I don't love. With this series in particular, I do, I really like the writing. What I kind of think that I'm getting to with some of Jim's work is that at the two thirds way point in this issue, I was thinking like, I don't know that this story is super benefiting from being told in a comic book rather than a novel. Even down to like each issue has like three or two or three chapters in it. Mm-hmm. And they have these like distinct scenes and they're very wordy and not in a complaining way, but like they're really nice crime na- like narrations over it. I just, um, even in the scenes where, you know, it made, made this conversation come up in my mind between like, what's the di- difference between a comic and a novel? And like, what is the difference in the script of a comic and a novel? And I don't know, I don't have the answer to that, but it's it raised that question to me that I feel like sometimes I get the feeling that maybe Jim's Tinian um, books like are written almost more like novels. I, I don't know. I don't know. Not a complaint, not a complaint, just a conversation that started in my head, but things that I really liked mm-hmm. in this issue. I do think um, I really liked the torture scene. I, he was a little bit more grounded for me than I would want him to be. But what I really liked that idea of all these people showing up to take out the Joker. What I liked about that was the analysis or the shining the viewpoint on the Joker that like, he's this criminal. So we just kind of consider him like the king of these criminals. But it's not just good guys that are trying to take the Joker out. Like, it's bad guys. He's probably hunted everywhere he goes. Even when there's not cops and Batman chasing him, there's people like Bane's daughter who could be a bad guy chasing him. Or the Court of the Owls is trying to take him down. And he's got that in common with Batman. Yeah, so I did like this sort of viewpoint of, like, no rest for the wicked, like, always moving... um, light that was shown on him and i liked that and that's not a thing that like has never been done or anything but i i liked um i liked that you know i was looking for things that i do think are positive and unique about this and then i yeah i liked the analysis of that girl and like i liked the bits about barbara gordon trying to track her and like talking about how rote her day was and then being like yeah it's like she knows someone's watching her like all of like trying to just be a little bit more fine tooth comb with you know things that i can like brush off so that book I gave a 7.0 and I actually will give it a 7.5 now. I just looked at my notes after deciding what I was going to give it. And I'm just going to ride that, that Jeff Schmalky right yeah. along with you. Seven into a seven and a half. Have a nice uh, glass of Schmalk with that. Yep. Yep. It's milky. Yeah. Uh, I, get, milk. I gave it an eight both times. 
the Ocho. I think. Yeah, eight. Oh, inter- oh, oh, wow. Interesting. When I first read it, I put nine originally, but I scratched it out and put eight. Uh, this week was Excalibur 21 and X-Men 21. Also, Children of the Atom, I think four, came out this week. It was not part of Gala, even though it was including in the, included in the reading order. I did not read it. I am behind on that series um, and wasn't part of the Gala event. Of the two issues, Excalibur was first. It was, and I don't want to be closed-minded. It was not what I wanted from this event. It was very rooted in the characters of Excalibur as this Excalibur story has generally been as it crosses over with other things. It's a very, um, not insular. It's a very, the, the Excalibur story is like lines going out and then folding back in on each themselves. Like it's these characters doing these similar motives with similar spots and they are Uh, each of those things aren't ones that I care about a ton. So seeing kind of these stories carried out was a little bit boring for me. The new Island crops up, but for the most part, this was all, you know, our friend, Andrew Carlson, Foss, Foss, the show, um, texted me. He was like, Excalibur, probably skippable. I was like, buddy, I already read all those, but, um, (laughs) but he, he agreed. Um, not a lot happened to cast an alternative light on gala as a whole. Um, but I guess that's kind of, again, it's not doing the thing that Ten of Swords did where it's every chapter is after each other and important. This is sort of like, it's a little bit more like if you just want to read the books that you want to read, it seems like it's conducive to that. So is Excalibur just the bad kids hanging around the punch bowl and you never got no, that was Hellions. anybody else? Remember? Because oh, Hellions sure, are the bad kids, yeah. Um, X-Men 21, I was disappointed in X-Men 21 because it's as X-Men by Hickman books have done they're like in the reading order, sometimes there'll be red issues in the list of them. And X-Men 21 was a red issue. And generally that denotes that something very important happens in that issue. So I was very ready for like, this is as far as I know, the final issue of Hickman on the X-Men series, because he's hmm. leaving and somebody else is taking over and he's going to be writing Inferno and then Inferno and then something else. So I was expecting more so my disappointment for this issue was based on my expectation for it the You're big expecting thing, more than announcing a new team yeah i was expecting like hickman bombs that okay. he tosses out there like house and powers had several hickman bombs and and he drops a hickman bomb you know every once in a while so i was hoping and expecting one of those and the reason that this was a red issue was really just that they were announcing the new team it's got some gorgeous art by Dowderman. You don't usually get Dowderman on interior art. And there's some Dragata interior art. You mm-hmm. don't get a lot of that either. Both of those scenes were fantastic. And I love them. Namor is a prick in an awesome way. The Dowderman art is just gorgeous. I just love Dowderman's art. I've loved the game of finding the random people that are drawn into the background of all these things. Like you got Mark Marin there looking good. You think you're in any of these? I bet I am, but I actually haven't looked close yet. Or I'm probably just in a future issue or something. Um, I don't, I'm not sold on loving the new X-Men team, but like, I'm kind of tied into the nineties of loving that X-Men team. So, you know, when they introduce a new X-Men team and it's got some side characters that probably people who know those characters get excited about seeing, they, it kind of falls on deaf ears for me just because of a lack of familiarity with those characters. And then we get this kind of the fireworks display at the end of the issue, which I thought we were going to get kind of a bomb dropped about what that was, you know, like the X-Men saying, Hey, humanity we're now the planetary defense force and not just x-men you guys have to be in like some large status quo shift is what i was expecting and we didn't get that but that's fine i don't know what happened in the final panel which is two people sort of sitting in the sun who who were those two people up there 
looks like, like Nightcrawler and Deadpool to me. That was exactly yeah. who I was looks just like, going to say. Yeah. yeah, one of them has a sword on his back. I gave it an 8.5. I'll stick with the 8.5. Um, but that's Gala. Nothing has changed really yet since that first issue of Marauders that we got. Well, this issue, I love the opening, the stuff with Namor and just his dialogue with Charles and, and Magneto. Um, I wish I could remember there was an art, an, a, a link to an article I posted on the Comics Place Facebook page where this this guy wrote this extensive analysis of all the uh, all the Gala fancy dress costumes that the x characters had at least on the design variant covers and he broke it down from a fashion sense and i forget his points but he really liked charles's outfit and the dorky helmet and everything and he had so he had me thinking oh yeah that is cool if you look at it that way and now i can't remember the points so go to our facebook page and look at that um <laughs> but yeah the rest of the yeah i don't know how i feel about this new x-men team i'm i had to look uh, i had to refresh my memory on who sync was i gave it a six no i give it a really you gave it a six that's a pretty low score yeah just because a lot of the like the big double size gala issue i was like oh this is so kind of by the numbers it's your typical here's all the cute moments yeah and yeah i expected more out of this tissue too other than like oh here's the new lineup for this team yeah Roman and Django were kind of down to the yawning maw and Django before we get into no actually Roman Batman Earth 1 you read volume 3 I haven't read Batman Earth 1 since volume 1 and then read issue 2 or episode volume 2 that I think was like a lizard reptile Um, what's the lizard character it introduces Croc Croc there you go Um, (laughs) what was this is I think the end of this thing right Introduces a uh, croc wearer who only wears specially special very tech comfy. crocs, <laughs> very comfy sandals. <laughs> Sorry, what did you ask me? Um, is this the end of this? I think this is the end of Jeff. It, it John is. And Gary I, Franks. I think. Yeah, I think each of these Earth One series is only three volumes. Wonder Woman was three volumes. I think Green Lantern was maybe. So the series got canceled. Schley. No, I think. I'm assuming that each one of them was only supposed to be three volumes. Okay. Um, and this, and the Batman ones by Jeff Johns and Gary Frank, those have been my favorite of the Earth One books. Those and mm-hmm. Grant Morrison's Wonder Woman. Though I, though I say these are just slightly better than wow. Grant Morrison's. Wow. Just just because they're not they're. Morrison does some stuff. Those Wonder Woman books are controversial because some of the stuff he does in it is very easily misunderstood because he he works mm-hmm. in all the, cre- the original creators bondage stuff and kind of makes that a thematic thing and mm-hmm. and it doesn't quite work for some modern audiences fuck him the, the the batman ones by jeff john these are much more accessible i think up to a wider audience could you jump into this volume three without remembering anything about volumes one or two except that alfred is like an sas agent yeah that's really all i remember <laughs> I think I think you probably could. I mean, just as long as you know that okay, this version of things, it's a little more realistic. I mean, yeah, Bruce Wayne's still a billionaire and everything. Well, what happens in volume three? Volume volume three, um there there's a gang of thieves, there's this arms deals going coming into Gotham. Um Batman, they never use the term bat family, but basically his bat family in the Earth One series is um 
him and Alfred and Waylon Croc, who doesn't isn't called Killer Croc in this because he's not he's not a bad guy. He's misunderstood. Singer. Yeah, <laughs> he's misunderstood, and he lives in the sewers because you know he he's trying to escape society. But nobody calls him. They don't call him Killer Croc because he doesn't kill people. And he gets a cute little puppy that becomes part of their family. And in this hint, they're trying with Gordon's help trying to figure out what's the deal with all these guns. There's a mystery about they possibly mystical that Bruce's grandfather, who everyone thought was dead, shows up and he's crazy. Um, Martha Martha Wayne had killed herself after she apparently shot the grandfather there's a whole mystery around all this and bruce's family is martha is originally an arkham um so part of that family line so instead of kane in this reality it she through her they marry the arkham and wayne families um there's just some great mysteries some great weird stuff going on there's some they find some hidden chambers with graffiti that kind of harkens back to Morrison's bat stories. And at the end, there's some, some very cool little twists and reveals that if they wanted to do a volume four, it's, it sets that up, but I don't think they're, I don't know, maybe they will. Maybe if this, I think, I suspect since we sold so many of these the first week, I, maybe this is the most popular earth one series. Maybe we'll do more. I'm excited to read it. I, I have a good feeling about the first two volumes, but I don't remember a fucking thing about them because it's been a hundred years since they <laughs> came out. Yeah. I think it's been like seven years since the first volume. Wow. Like, like almost as long as it took for doomsday clock to wrap up. Yeah. Yeah. And like the only thing I remember about the first volume, I think that was the one where it's like, it was more realistic. So like Bruce, like his first night out or something, he like falls off a fire escape and yeah it's almost... the fire escape jeff it's the same fucking fire escape on his first night he messes it up yeah i mean and, i don't know whole... if you saw at the end of joker issue number four but it says i think that one said next time year one <laughs> yeah i think it did yeah 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 oh yeah. and i gave this a 9.5 yeah, you did, you dirty man. I did. He almost schmalked it right up in the A nine-point schmalky in the secret land. Django, the secret land. What? Dude, I think Roman read this too. Oh, never mind. Yeah. Double schmalk. Yep, yep, yep. It's, it, it follows uh, an American soldier. Uh, I guess, uh, uh, what are the water people? <laughs> the Navy? The, the Navy. Follows a Navy guy. And the Navy. <laughs> I'll sail the seven seas. Follows a Navy guy who is going to Japan during World War II to, to do something on a beach. And uh, he goes there and his girlfriend or his fiance is a spy. She speaks German. So she's uh, spying on Germany as a scientist's assistant. And the, the opening sequence is about how much he misses her because... Uh, he stopped getting messages from her and then he got notified that she was dead. And clearly this is a comic book story. She's not dead. She's hanging out in, uh, on this German Island. Like, I think it's kind of post-World War II, like Hitler has been killed and all these Germans are off on an Island. Jeff, it kind of reminded me of the Raiders of the Lost Ark Island that they, they take the submarine to, mm -hmm. right. But they're doing, 
crazy science. They need more power to do this, whatever their master plan is. And she's a spy alongside the scientist who is making this machine that's supposed to give them tons of power. And by the end of the story, it's like, it's a horror story, but a sci-fi story, but just a Nazi story. And I, I thought it was really, really well executed. Um, the, the couple is, is separated. The Nazis are bad. The, the horror stuff is horrific. I don't know. I, I, I don't know who Christopher Emgard or Tomas Aria are. Haven't read anything else by them, but this was, this was like, I kind of shit on it when we got it sight unseen and I brought it home just cause I am addicted to bringing number ones home and sometimes reading them. This was an excellent, excellent comic and I'm excited for the next three issues. Yeah. These creators did a series I never read called the whispering dark in 2018. Mm. Um, but yeah, I really like this too. I mean, they've got this secret Nazi fortress in Antarctica and all these great elements, the occult stuff. There's one of the touches I like that kind of flying around this secret Nazi Antarctic base, there's a uh, Nazi UFOs because you yeah. know that that old thing about how the Nazis reverse engineered UFO technology but never got to use it in the war and so it plays on all that, all those sources and rumors, all those great stories. And yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an occult sci-fi Nazi mystery <laughs> and love yeah. story. <laughs> yeah. It's wonderful. I, I'm sure I've said this before on the podcast, but there aren't better bad guys than Nazis. Nope. Like you, nope. you can kill a hundred of them and nobody, nobody feels anything, but fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can schmalk him right up the schmalk. <laughs> um, I gave this an eight when I read it. I think I'm going to give it a nine. I, it, it was one of my favorite comics this week. And like, we also didn't even get a couple of my very favorite comics on the docket either. Well, unless it's inappropriate, I'm going to move us along to voicemails, which or sorry, emails, which uh, there are a couple and I should have, I should have done it earlier. I should have known. I should have known. I, I, I boo-booed. Jeff, are you are you worried because you're going to have to edit a slightly longer podcast or because people are going to get to listen to a slightly longer podcast? And <laughs> and we're back at the end of the podcast. We got those great questions. I think they went at the beginning of the podcast. I don't really know. Someone edited this podcast. It wasn't me. Did we get did we hit the world record of Schmalkies in there yet? I don't really know. I think we're at 93 Schmalkies. What's the world record? Uh, we're we got some work to do. Maybe we next got week. Some, some Schmalky work to do. Maybe next next Schmalky. Next round. Okay, well, I think on that note, we're probably ready to get out of here. I'm a little disjointed because we went from the beginning to the end of the end of the beginning at the beginning at the end of the podcast. But oh man, I better call the TVA in here. Get the oh out. nice. Simonson would be proud. Jeff is the TVA. <laughs> you can send us an email at Jeff at the comicsplace.com. I would love that. I think Jen and Roman would both really like it as well. I love and- it when we get emails. I do too. And it would cause us to these, these fun. They are so peachy keen to tie it into the peaches. And I like it because it causes me to have to be on my toes a little bit and I'm not quite used to it yet. And I would rather be on my toes than flat footed comic books. We love them and we love each other. And that's two twenty nine. We're here to talk about two, two, nine and what love. That's right. Spread that love in the universe, right? It's art. 
It's, it's great. For that love like it's a schmalky peach. On that toast. It's a schmalky toast. Um, we're so lucky to get to read comics. We're so lucky to get to read comics, I think. What an art that people put their soul into and their creative juices, and we just get to enjoy them. What life. What a good life. Um, on that note, I'm Django. I'm Roman. I'm Jeff, and I, I was thinking, you guys. Oh, Jeff, you're always so jazzy. What do you think? Like, do you think that, that souls are actually important to demons and devils? Wow. Well, like we've always assumed. Oh yeah, no. Hey, that, you don't that, need to that, explain that at all. That exchange rate is yeah. huge. Yeah, they love them. But, but this guy, really? yeah. But like, do really? they do they need them, or are they just like do they get off on fucking with humans who have souls more than they really need the soul itself, or yeah. is it just a way to mess with heaven? Addiction's right? a hell of a drug, Django, and I think that's yeah. what you're getting at here. Yeah, I think it's a compulsion, an addiction. Yeah, and that's not for us to answer. That's for the listeners to answer. So next week, let's talk about addiction, compulsion, and the ever the ever changing demon, the uh, <clears throat> peaches and souls, peaches, peaches and, and souls. peaches and souls. See you next week on two thirty. Nazis. Roman loves Nazis. you. <laughs>